one of those little pregnant pauses. Um, you know those uh, the times at the dinner table where you might have a high-low and you mention the high? Why don't you just turn to one of them right now and say, what's your high been for the week? Come on, just do a high moment for a, just a second. Turn to the person next to you and say, what's a high been for my week this week? Very good. Personally, that was my little uh, low moment for the week, but my high moment for the week was, was this picture on the screen here. Some of us had a, a uh, Christmas in July. Does anyone believe in Christmas in July? We had a Christmas in July, and this was a TBT 2SE evening, a TBT 2SE me, the best table to share ever. <laughs> So if you've had other ones this weekend, I'm not sure if it quite beats this one, but this was awesome. We had our... You know, there's some people on that table who actually didn't like Christmas, who actually don't like Christmas, but they came anyway. So it was really good, really good. Last week, we started a series called Spirited. And we discovered that uh, over the last uh, period of time, we've been exploring what does it look like for a Jesus follower to actually be engaged with God And how does the Spirit of God actually transform human lives? Last week, we looked at the words of Jesus, and he said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was a promise that Jesus made, that when someone actually comes to place their confident trust in him, he said, My Spirit will be poured forth. And we talked about what are the activities of the spirit that you can anticipate being at work in a person's life to, to make you, if you like, a witness to visibly in word and deed be able to reflect God back into the world in which you inhabit. In fact, just a little bit on from that, there were the words of Peter after people had been filled with God's spirit and they had started to speak ecstatically about languages they, they hadn't actually learnt themselves, but other people from those nations that understood those languages were hearing them talk about the great wonders of God. And, and the people were perplexed about this. And Peter stood up and he said, this is actually something that's happened because of Jesus. Let me tell you about him. He's the one who was crucified, but he rose to new life on the third day, and you can find life in him. And when the people heard this, and they said, what should we do? And his response to them was this, repent and be baptized. That is, wholeheartedly return to God without any wheeling or dealing. Make a wholehearted return to God without any wheeling or dealing in your life. And what you will experience is, if you like, the reception of God's spirit, if, that if you turn to him, that you will receive God's spirit. In fact, Paul, one of the, the writers of the Bible, one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, said this. He said that the good news of God about the person of Jesus is that when he's announced, it's like a power sort of ripples forth, uh, bringing rescue and new life and salvation and, and entering into the age to come right now in the present time to everyone who believes who puts their settled conviction in who Jesus is. When Paul was talking about this, he was saying there's something powerful that happens when someone describes the person of Jesus. 
when they talk about the reality that there is a God and that there is more to life than just mere molecules and that you matter to him. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. And he has a love towards you that is unyielding. And that's why he sent his son. And that son lived and died on a cross to pay a price that you could not pay. But he came to life again on the third day. And he's now seated at the right hand. There is no other authority or power in the universe greater than him. And I want to declare him to you, Paul would say. He says sometimes when people hear that message, something triggers in their hearts and minds. It's like a power that's released. Some of you here right now this morning, maybe watching online today, when you hear me talk about Jesus like that, that he rose to new life, that God has a love for you that transcends all understanding. There's something that triggers inside of you in a good way. That, that there's something that transpires. And Paul says it's like a power in and of its own, the declaration of that truth, that the reality about that person. And for anyone then who has this settled conviction that says, God, I want to follow you. I believe in your son, Jesus. He says that he sends his spirit into their bodies, to their minds and their hearts. If you like, there's a God who sent his son, the right hand of his son and the left hand of his spirit, out into his creation to draw all creation back to himself. Because that's where you belong deeply, most intimately, is with God at home with him. And so with the right hand of the Son and the left hand of the Spirit, God wants to beckon for you to come and for you to come and for you to come and follow Him and find life in Him. That is the power. And so last week we asked the question, what kind of power? Could someone who actually receives God's Spirit into their life anticipate at work in them? And one of the powers is the power to change. I wonder if you've ever had a conviction of yours or a perception of yours changed as a result of receiving more information and knowledge. (laughs) Stephen Covey, in his book written many, many years ago, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he tells a story about being on a train, or someone was on a train, and there was a dad and his kids were running rampant. And they were running up and down the train, just messing about until someone got really agitated and annoyed by this. The the dad was just there letting them just run riot. And so eventually, after a period of time, the person got up out of their chair and went over to to the the husband, so the, the father, and said, can't you see your kids are just running all over the train? Why don't you pull them into line? And, and, and then the man was sort of was looking out the window and he looked at the, the person and said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, the kids are probably just trying to come to terms with the fact we've just come from the hospital and uh, they've lost their mum. And that just shifted everything in that moment, right? Or, or, or the person I heard a story about, there was a, a truck driver driving really closely to another car and, and, and dangerously close like bumper to bumper close, and this, this truck driver was flashing the lights of the woman who was driving in the car. 
and, and honking the horn. And she just felt so intimidated by this. And, and she was coming up to a set of stoplights and eventually she stopped, but she was terrified. And, and she looked in her rearview mirror and she noticed that the truck driver jumped out of the truck and ran towards her and, and opened the back door to her car and pulled out a person who'd been lying awake in the car who was going to burgle the woman when he stopped, but she had no idea. But from his vantage, he could see everything. And so he pulled him out and rescued her. And she thought that he was out to, well, to cause her harm. And it shifted everything, right? You, have you ever had information given to you that shifts your attitude, your perspective of a situation? But what about the inner life of someone? What, what about the inner world of your life, those inner dimensions that other people can't see? Can those things change? And, and will they change with some information? Maybe not. So today what I want to talk about in the time that we have remaining is is the inner dimensions of someone's life and how when God's spirit takes up resident in a human body, one of the desires is that the inner parts of your being might be changed and shifted in accordance to what Paul writes is that the likeness of Jesus. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the ordering or the reordering of someone's inner dimensions. How does that happen? Last week, we just mentioned that at the very beginning of the Bible, the Spirit of God would hover over the waters, it said, and in this formless void, and he began to give it dimensions and order and patterns and symmetry. That's exactly what God does in someone's life if the Spirit of God is at work within them. In fact, Paul writes and he says, Part of the desire of God for you is that you might be conformed to the image and the likeness of his son. The, the one who is the perfect representation of the invisible God. And that there's an inner dimension change and transformation that he's desiring to take because Jesus is the fully human one. So when you come to know God, his desire for you is that you become more like his son and conform to him because he is the one who fully and completely, if you like, reflects the very God in physical flesh. And so he has life and he has goodness and he is fully human. When my wife and I first got married, uh, we... We didn't know it at the time, but for the first couple of years, we tried to do some reordering of each other's lives. <laughs> um, it started when we first went shopping in Warrigal. Uh, we were down walking down the supermarket aisle, and some of you have heard this before. And uh, when it got down to the, the, the tinned fruit section, out of all of the sections right in the shopping center that you could imagine, we got to the tinned fruit. And, and we reached for the peaches, and I reached high, and she reached low. <laughs> And I said, why did you do that? And she looked at me and she said, why did you do that? And, and, and I said, I bet you it's because that's what your family did. And she said, I bet you that's because that's what your family did. And then she said, don't you know that the peaches up there are the same peaches as the ones that are down here, but they're just wrapped in a different wrapping. They probably come out of the same factory. It wasn't quite like that. And... and <laughs> And I said, don't you know that the peaches up here are so much better than the peaches down there? They're the ones that John West rejected. (laughs) 
And so the best pizzas are up here, so that's why you pay a little bit more for these ones, and that's the right thing to do. Yeah, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried reordering the person around you? It doesn't work very well. But God's desire for you is that you might be reordered, if you like, into the likeness of his son. And before I forget, Jared, can you help me out here? Can you catch that? Great. You can eat it or just wait for the end. It's just an apple to Jared, by the way. All right. So if you want to follow with me this morning, if you have a Bible or if you've got a phone, just turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want to ask the question this morning, the time that we have available, is that how might God go about by his spirit doing that reordering and that inner work in your life? How does it happen? Let's dive in this morning. Paul, who writes to these people in Galatia, it's modern-day Turkey, and it's a region, it's an area. Ancient Celts settled there, and he's writing to Jesus' followers in that place. He said, let me say this to you. Live by the Spirit, and you won't do what the flesh wants you to. When Paul has this, if you like, this image of this dichotomy of a person's life, he says, someone who's come to know Jesus that has God's Spirit within them, uh, there's almost like two different powers or forces that are active in, in the person's life. Uh, it's not quite a dichotomy, as we'll discover, but he says that there's a flesh and then there's a spirit. Now, the flesh here isn't just talking about a human body's like eyes and ears and just the fleshliness. It's actually talking about something else that's happening inside a human being. And he describes it as a flesh or a sinful nature or a fleshly nature. And quite simply, it's this, is that inclination in every single human being, even in a child that Arthur's going to get it to, is that there's this sense in which there'll be this idea of, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. Right? Has anyone heard that this week? Maybe you're an employee of someone and your boss said, would you do this? And you instinctively went, I don't want to do what you want to do. Or, or, or mum and dad asked you to do something. There was something and said, I don't want to do what you want to do. In fact, you told yourself to do something and you said, I don't want to do what I want to do. There's something within us that wants to say, I want to call the shots. In fact, this, this story has a backgrounding. It goes all the way back to Genesis. There's two trees, the knowledge of good and evil and the knowledge of the tree in life. And those first two early hominids were in that place and God said you can eat out of every tree, but just not the one of the knowledge of good and evil. And we don't know how long, but it was just probably momentarily afterwards they reached and took from the tree. There's an instinct that says that tree represents I want to call the shots God. And as a result of that, they were kind of expelled from the garden because the idea, the logic was, whilst they were there near the tree of life, they could take of it and eat so their mortal bodies became immortal and they could dwell with the living God. And so you had this sense in which they were expelled from the garden, away from the immortal tree of life, because if they got to call the shots and they would be immortal, then they'd be, they'd be God. And then the whole project would be just ruined. And, and so from that very incident there, it, is, it says something about us human beings. Do you know the right thing to do sometimes and don't do it? Or let me put it this way. Do you know the right thing to do yourself and you find yourself difficult to, to actually follow it through? Well, there's something inside of us that Paul describes as this fleshly nature that kind of wants to do its own thing. And he goes on in Galatians 17 then. He says, for the flesh wants to go against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So it, it sounds like there's this tug of war. 
Now, I need to pause for a moment here because when you hear this dichotomy, you might think, well, then if you have the spirit, you're all good. And if you don't, then you're all bad. That would be wrong. I remember going to a cafe around the corner here and then the, when one of the, uh, the uh, workers in the cafe discovered that I was a, a minister of a church, he said, I've got a question for you. <laughs> oh, I just came for coffee. <laughs> i got a question for you. What? Why do you Jesus people think you're the only ones who can do good? Ooh. I said, I like what you're saying. Tell me more. She said, well, I've got a friend whose mother's a Jesus person, a Christian, right? and uh, her car broke down, my friend's car. And she called her mum and said, my car's broken down. And, and mum said, well, I've got, you should go to this mechanic because he's a Christian and he won't rip you off, right? So I want to know, what are you saying about the other mechanics out there? Right? I'll go, yeah, I hear you, and I agree with you. See, one of the truths about life is that Actually, human beings can do a whole lot of bunch of good stuff, right? Patient, kind, generous, gracious, display humility, goodness, right? But the reality is too is that my goodness, my humility, my patience, my kindness, my gentleness runs out. And so the Bible has this idea of that you're of infinite worth to God, including your flesh, but you're just in need of great repair. So that person might have to account of why if we're just atoms and molecules, can we also do relatively good things? That's a different discussion, though. So when you hear the word flesh, it doesn't mean that you're all bad. It just means also that you're not all right either. And so he dives in and he says, let me tell you what a disordered kind of life might look like. Such things like fornication, uncleanliness, licentiousness, and big words here, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, bursts of rage, selfish ambition, factiousness, divisions, moods of envy, wild partying, and similar things. This is a life, if you like, characterized of things that are disorderly. And none of these things actually belong in God's heaven in his new life in the age to come. Why? Well, because they're destructive. They tear things down. They don't build things up. Right? Could you imagine if God's age to come in his heaven was filled with hostility, strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition? And you, and you said to Jesus, I can't wait for, for heaven, the life and the age to come. What is it like? And he said, well, it's full of strife and jealousy and rage and selfishness. I once knew some guys who had a fish tank filled with piranha that you could get them in, in Canada, Right? And uh, when we visited each Christmas up to Canada when we were over in the States, they started off with four piranha. And every time we visited, like every six months, there was one less piranha. <laughs> and so by the fourth time we visited, there was just one, well, actually, the third time, there were two piranha left. And, and we, t we went and had a look at them, and we noticed that one of them had a chunk out of its back. But they were both looking at each other in the fish tank just like this. I just think they were having the conversation. Could you imagine the conversation of a night time? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> and so there was one left. Could you imagine if the age to come was disorderly like that? But no. He says, actually, let me tell you about what the reordering of God's spirit does in someone's life. They produce a fruit of love 
joy and peace and great hardness and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law that opposes such things like this. Sometimes people might come into a church community and if they haven't been involved, they have this little nagging question at the back of their head. Why is everyone smiling? Yeah? They think it's a setup. Like, has everyone got in on the queue here? They're all smiling and they say, and they're friendly. Why? I think part of the answer might come is because actually they've discovered that in God, there's something within inside them that quickens and they experience a greater capacity to love and joyfulness and peace and great hardness and kindness and generosity and, and it flows. And it flows. And so Paul actually says, I need you to understand something, that when the Spirit of God starts to do some reordering in someone's life, you need to understand that it's not this dual opposition. At the moment you said yes to Jesus, something was killed or crucified in that flesh. And it was actually that other nature of that instinct that says, God, I want to do things my way, has been replaced. And it says it's actually been crucified to a new attitude that says, God, I want to do what you want me to do. That's the instinctive reflex inside of them. And so he says this, naturally, well, if we live by the Spirit, let's line up with the Spirit, right? So how do we do that? (laughs) How do you do that? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you're How do you draw in line with the activity of the Spirit? And be careful because how you answer this question will go a long way to describing the kind of relationship you will have with God in your life. Because some people would look at this encouragement, this command, this exhortation to line up with the Spirit and they might treat it prescriptively. What do I mean by that? You know when you're sick and you go to a doctor? And you say to the doctor, I've got a sore throat, I've got a runny nose, I've got a high blood pressure, and I just don't feel that good. I've got a headache. And they say, well, look, I think you've probably got just a common cold. But here, take this, and it'll alleviate some of the symptoms, particularly the sore throat, right? That's a prescriptive account. There's someone who approaches Paul's encouragement to say, line up with the Spirit, and they say, well... I've, that means I've got to do something. That I'll approach his words like this. Well, I've got to get more of that love. And I've just got to work harder at actually becoming more patient. And I've got to try harder at, I don't know, becoming more selfless. And I've noticed the people next door, they seem really generous. And, and so I'm just going to become more generous and I'm going to work harder at it. And, and, and therefore, I might be pleasing to God. That's a totally different picture and perspective to this other point is if we say, actually, what Paul's trying to say is that given a descriptive account of what the activity of God's Spirit does in someone's life, because that is what the Spirit does. The Spirit emanates love. The Spirit emanates joy. The Spirit emanates gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's an activity That the Spirit does. Do you understand the difference? Because if you take a prescriptive account, you're saying, I've got to do all these other things in order to and get me some of that. 
while the person who says, no, no, he's describing, it means that the person who realizes that, they say, well, then the natural question needs to be, what activities will cultivate God's spirit activity in my life? You see, if I want to get an apple, I just don't go to an apple orchard and the apples are just lying on the ground, right? Right? Well, they are if they fall off the tree. But you have to do something first. What do you have to do to get an apple, Jared? You've got to plant something first, right? What do you plant? An apple tree. Could, can I, please? Unless you've eaten it. Oh, good. Well done. Okay. If you want an apple, you first plant a tree, don't you? And then the, the tree needs some soil, it needs some sunlight, and it needs some nutrients, including water, right? And then after a period of time, the tree does what the tree does, and it produces fruit. And I think what Paul is trying to say to would-be Jesus followers is that when the Spirit of God is active in your life, it produces the fruit in your life. And so the question that becomes so integral, because it's a byproduct, is that someone who wants to have the fruitfulness of God at work in their life, they ask the question, what have I got to do to cultivate God's spirit activity? There's not many places in the text that actually answers how surprisingly, just assumes you can. But he writes in another place this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. In other words, the first way in which you can cultivate the God's spirit's activity in your life is to present yourself as your body each day and say, God, here I am to do your bidding. Another writer by the name of James, he says it this way, God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. In other words, it seems to be the gateway to having God's fruitfulness actively at work and alive in you, if you're a Jesus follower, is that this idea of humility and humbling of oneself to say, God, I would like your activity to be at work in me, and it's called grace. God's supernatural ability to accomplish in your life what you cannot do for yourself at work. And it begins with this posture of openness that says, God, here I am. I want to honor you with, with my body. And so here's some things that I've come up with that I've found actively helping me in my life to cultivate, if you like, the Spirit's activity. And this is just a, sh a short list, but there are ways in which I think about cultivating. The first one is this, heartfelt honor and praise. That there might be a time in your life, I was talking to someone last week and they said, you won't see me jumping up and talking about these various things, but I do change my playlist. And so in the morning time when I go to work and when I'm at work, I'm actually listening to some things in my own life. And I find that makes such a huge difference of worship to God. And, and so just posturing yourself each day to say, God, here I am, I want to worship and honor you, and changing your playlist can make such a huge difference. A, a personal request for more is that the person who says, God, I'm hungry for more of you. Holy Spirit, I would like you to be more at work in my life to changing some of those inner recesses that are hard. Or, or this one, immersing yourself in the life of God's family, not just turning up but actually being active where you see someone praying for someone else 
See someone sharing, encouraging, boosting them up, actually sharing of life with one another and actually being actively involved in encouraging someone in faith. Huge difference. Or what about this one? Responsiveness to the correction of the spirit in your life. I remember many years ago, and, and I don't have to go back far to find the inequalities that need re- reworking in my life, okay? Just so you know. Yeah. See, one of the things that doesn't happen is that when you actually have God's spirit at work in your life, you become perfect. Did you know that? I remember I was about to talk the next day, and I had developed a jealous attitude towards a friend of mine. Envious, jealous attitude. And as I drew closer to God, I just had this sort of thumb just resting on me somewhere, an invisible thumb just saying, that is wrong. And you can't talk tomorrow with integrity if you're harboring that. And I wrestled with that and I fought that and I resisted that until in the end, I gave up. I called him out of the blue and I said, I just want you to know this is nothing to do with you, everything to do with me. I just want to apologize to you. The freedom that came from that, But then the kindness of his response was to say, how can I help? Lastly, and that's why I found this so profound, and come on up, Peter, is that after this, Paul finishes straight after he's encouraging people to walk in God's spirit. He says this, my dear family, if someone is found out in some wrong, some trespass, then you, the spiritual ones, should set such a person right in a spirit of gentleness. I love that. I love that because it means that one of the ways in which God's spirit can be cultivated in the life of a human being is when another human being can look at them and say, mate, not everything's right, is it? And I want to help you I'm not waving my finger at you. I'm not judging you. But I think God wants you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And this is a huge roadblock. So, mate, how about we get it right? And I will carry this burden with you. I love that. The idea of the church that carries one another. Isn't that nice? Yeah? I found usually that there's there's two blocks to allowing the Spirit's work to be more active in someone's life. First one is this. Control or mistrust. Because you've been hurt. Or blame. Because it's always someone else's fault. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're a Jesus follower, if there's a nudging of the Spirit to say, I'd like to be more actively at work in this part of your life. But you've got to stop blaming. I need you to start to trust me a little more. 
And it's not you having to do anything. It's for you actually to acknowledge that and say, I can't. Would you help me? But I want you to be at work in my life, Holy Spirit, producing the fruit that you want to produce. So right here, right now, as we pause, I'm going to pray. And if you feel the nudging of God's Spirit to say, there's a part of my life that is not fruitful, and there's nothing I can do about it. In fact, Troy's not asking me to do anything. He's actually asking me to invite God's Holy Spirit into that part of my world and asking for the Spirit of God to do something that I cannot do for myself. And it's going to take a step of trust. It's going to take a step of humility. But here we go. Dear God, here in this place right now, whether online, out in the foyer, here in this room, that area of my life that you've brought attention to this morning, I, I bring it to you. And I ask that you might break its power over me and I, I invite you into that room, into that place, into that attitude. And I ask that you might heal, that you might wash clean, that you might change me. Holy Spirit, would you fill that place, that attitude, replace it with a supernatural ability and a, for you to do what you do so that I might be made more into the image and the likeness of your Son, that in word and deed I might reflect him more fully. Right now here, I just ask and pray that for if that's you and you name that thing, that you might just hold that before God throughout the week and you might be praying God would you work in and through would Holy Spirit you be at work in healing and setting right so that your fruit might flourish and pray this in Jesus name Amen